Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 66. Last week, I covered the tribes of Ephraim, Zebulun, Issachar, and Naphtali, all of the northern kingdom. I also dove into the house of Joseph, which is traditionally viewed as the parent of both Ephraim and Manasseh. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm covering the tribes of Dan, Judah, Benjamin, and Simeon. So, let's get started. First, there's Dan. Their territory was on the coast, west of Ephraim, south of Manasseh, and north of the tribe of Judah. This coastal territory led to an assumed primary occupation of seafaring, particularly unusual for the Israelite tribes. This can be seen in the Song of Deborah, where the tribe is said to have stayed on their ships with their belongings. They were also north of the Philistines. They received their allotment of territory last. In the northern part of the territory was the city of Joppa, which is the modern city of Jaffa, Israel. Due to the proximity to the Philistines, Dan would rarely live in peace to the point that the tribe would end up encamping in the hill country overlooking the Sorek Valley in the Judean hills. These camps would be known as the Manina Dan, literally translating to the camps of Dan. This Philistine pressure would eventually lead the tribe to migrate to an area east of the Jordan, an area northeast of the Naphtali. They would establish their new capital there and name it Dan, of course a city that bears the same name today and is literally as far north and east as you can go in Israel. In the book of Numbers, in the first chapter, the tribe of Dan is portrayed as the second largest Israelite tribe, only having fewer members than Judah. Perhaps the most well-known member of the tribe was the legendary strongman Samson, a Dani judge from the period just after the settlement of the land. As the Philistines increased their invasions, the Israelite tribes decided to form a strong, centralized monarchy, believing that only by banding together could they subdue their neighbor. Of course, the tribe of Dan was part of this and joined the new kingdom with Saul as the first king. After the death of Saul, Dan would align with the northern tribes, and this was a period of conflict between the northern tribes and Judah. Then something curious at least according to Eldad Ha-Dani, a 9th century AD Jewish writer. He claimed that the tribe of Dan, quoting, refused to shed his brother's blood, and rather than go to war with Judah, he left the country and went in a body to Greece, to Javan, and to Denmark, end quote. Javan may have referred to a separate part of Greece. And Denmark, well, that's an interesting destination, and quite a ways away. But if you're a seafaring people, Denmark is all of a sudden a bit closer. And some think that both, or either the Danes and the Irish, are part of the tribe. The Levant is close, but not nearly that close. After the death of Saul's son and successor, Ishbosheth, the tribe of Dan joined the other northern Israelite tribes in making David who was the then king of Judah, king of a reunited kingdom of Israel. 
At the time, Dan would provide the reunited kingdom with 28,600 soldiers who were considered experts in war. This can be found in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Of course, a couple of generations later, the kingdom would split again, and Dan would align with the northern kingdom again, and they too would be conquered and exiled by the Assyrians, thus becoming another of the lost tribes of Israel. Similar to several of the other tribes, the Samaritans claimed to be descended from Dan, and owing to the geography of the tribe, a few more notable historic characters, including Simon Magus, also known as Simon the Sorcerer and Simon the Magician, as well as Justin Martyr, appear to claim to have descended from this tribe. Now, as for this Simon, many including Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Hippolytus, and Ephenius, regard him as the source of all heresies, including Gnosticism. Quite a reputation. Also, some Ethiopian Jews, known as Beta Israel, claim to be related to the tribe of Dan. They believe that members of the tribe migrated south along with members of the tribes of Gad, Asher, and Naphtali into the kingdom of Cush, which is now in the area controlled by Ethiopia and Sudan. This purported migration would occur at about the same time as the destruction of the first temple. Finally, the tribe of Dan, along with that of Ephraim, is left out of an important biblical passage. In Revelation chapter 7, the passage reads that members of the twelve tribes, at least certain numbers from each, will be protected from the wrath of the four angels. But the tribes of Dan and Ephraim are curiously absent. Their absence is theorized to be the result of their alleged pagan practices. But that's not all. The missing name from the list led Arrhenius, a 2nd century Greek cleric, to propose that the revelation Antichrist will come from the tribe. And you thought your family had a black sheep. Which gets me to the tribe of Judah. Probably the best known of the tribes, at least from our modern perspective. As for their territory, like the other tribes, well, most of them, their allotment can be found in the book of Joshua. Overall, it was the southernmost of the tribes, at least when the territory was assigned. As I've already covered, over time, many of the tribes would migrate elsewhere, and some would end up even further south. Initially, Judah's territory would include the Negev, the wilderness of Zen, along with the cities of Hebron, Bethlehem, and Jerusalem. Essentially, there were four regions in the territory. The Negev was in the south and was primarily rich pasture land, so for grazing animals like sheep. Next, there was the lowland, sometimes referred to by the proper name of Shephelah. This was the coastal region between the mountains and the Mediterranean. It was prime agricultural land where the Judeans would grow grain. Then there was the infamous wilderness, this is a dry, barren region bordering the Dead Sea. Like the ultra-saline body, it sits well below sea level, the lowest dry surface on the globe. The wilderness earned its name as it was inhabited by bears and leopards. But it was also where people went to disappear, like those on the run. 
Sometimes you will see the wilderness even further subdivided into three smaller areas. The wilderness of Ein Gedi, as seen in 1 Samuel chapter 24. The wilderness of Judah, as seen in Judges chapter 1. And the wilderness of Maon, as seen in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Finally, there was the hill country, which is an elevated plateau found between the lowland and the wilderness. This region had rocky slopes and very fertile soil. It was the home to the growing of grain, olives, grapes, along with other fruit. And of course, from these, they got olive oil and wine. Which gets me to an interesting point. If you think back to the Christmas story, Joseph was from the house of David, which of course also placed him as being descended from Judah. The actual genealogy can be found in Matthew chapter 1. Then, in Luke chapter 2, we see that Joseph and Mary were residents of the town of Nazareth, which was not in what had been territory occupied by the tribe of Judah. So, they had to travel to Judean territory to register for the Roman tax, to the town of Bethlehem. So, even hundreds of years after what essentially amounted to the dissolution of the political power of the tribes, the familial power had not completely evaporated. After the allotment, the tribes would operate semi-independently until they united under Saul. With Saul's death and the ascension of his son, Judah would split off. David would become Judah's king, and then all the tribes would reunite under his control. This continued with his son Solomon until the wise man's death. He would be succeeded by his son Rehoboam, sometime around 930 BC. But the northern tribes were not happy with this arrangement, and they would split off. So at that time, there was the northern kingdom and the kingdom of Judah, which, despite its name, also included Benjamin and Simeon, both of which I'll get to in a bit. As for this kingdom of Judah, it would exist through the assaults of the Assyrians on the northern kingdom, but would fall to the Babylonians around 586 BC. At that time, their population was deported eastward to Nebuchadnezzar's court. Like all the other tribes, upon their return, tribal allegiance was replaced by the general Jewish identity. But the identity retained a bit of influence from Judah, as the word Jewish is a derivative of Judah. Jerusalem remained as the place of worship and sacrifice for the religion, including those from the northern tribes. Given this, and the prominent role the kingdom of Judah would play in the later history, it should come as no surprise that many of the Jewish leaders and prophets of the Hebrew Bible claim membership to the tribe. These included the prophets of Isaiah, Amos, Habakkuk, Joel, Micah, Obadiah, Zechariah, and Zephaniah. The lion, the symbol of the tribe, would make an appearance in the book of Revelation in chapter 5, a passage that reads, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. 
Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. End quote. So, what started as one of the lower tribes eventually rose to be arguably the most powerful. The tribe was not mentioned in the Song of Deborah, probably because they did not come to the aid of the northern tribes. As for claims or relationship to Judah, there are some in Ethiopia who believe they can trace ancestry. A 13th century AD Ethiopian writing known as the Kabra Nagist records that a few members of the tribes of Dan and Judah immigrated to the country after the Queen of Sheba, Makeda, paid King Solomon a visit in Jerusalem. While she was in Jerusalem, some believe that he may have become the father to her yet-to-be-born son, a lad who would take the throne in Ethiopia under the name of Menelik I. The legend goes on to say that when Menelik became king, he returned to Jerusalem to visit his father. Solomon then sent the Ark of the Covenant back to Ethiopia with him. That's at least one version of where it may have ended up. Menelik would become the first ruler of the so-called Solomonic dynasty in the Central African country, a dynasty that held lesser and greater control over the region until March 21, 1975 essentially ruling for 3,000 years. And even the last of this dynasty would hold the title of Conquering Lion of the Tribe of Judah in Central Africa in 1975 AD, the same title that can be found in Revelation. Back to ancient history. Next is the tribe of Benjamin, who I briefly touched on in the last episode. Of course, the tribe of Benjamin is named for its patriarch, the youngest son of Jacob. Its territory was in the central, somewhat southern portion of Canaan, nestled snugly between Ephraim and Judah. This land included the cities of Bethel, Gibeah, and was close to Jerusalem, at least according to some. One passage in Joshua claims it was given to Benjamin, another to Joshua. Yet another passage implies that Jerusalem remained controlled by the Jebusites, a Canaanite tribe who would remain in the city until they were defeated by David, when it was made the capital of the United Kingdom under his control. Backing up a bit, in the period of the Judges, so pre-United Kingdom, Benjamin was involved in a civil war that nearly resulted in the extinction of the tribe. The book of Judges, beginning in chapter 19, and running for a couple of chapters, tells of how a mob from the tribe of Benjamin raped a concubine, who was also a member of the tribe of Levi. This crime resulted in a battle that took place at Gibeah. This place is thought to be on a hill about three miles or five kilometers north of Jerusalem. Men from various other tribes sought to avenge the woman's death, and the vengeance was rather severe as the dead included women and children. 600 Benjaminite men survived by hiding in a cave for four months. As the dust settled, the other Israelite tribes were saddened at the near loss of the tribe of Benjamin. They decided to allow these 600 men to live, and therefore carry forward the name. But no one was willing to give their daughter in marriage to them. 
since they had previously vowed not to. To get around this vow, they provided wives for the men by killing the men from the tribe of Magair. Why this tribe? Well, they had not shown concern from the almost lost tribe of Benjamin. So, their crime was not coming to grieve with the rest of Israel. Two things. First, you can't make this stuff up. Loophole in a vow exploited. Second, the tribe of Machir was a subset of the tribe of Manasseh, having settled in Gilead and Bashan. With the deaths of the men, the other tribes quickly rounded up 400 virgin women from the tribe. These were presented to 400 of the remaining Benjamins, which still left 200 Benjamins single. Then something just as strange. The leaders of the other tribes got together and planned a festival. The 200 single Benjamins hid in a vineyard near the festival, and when the music started to play and the single women came out to dance, the single men sprung from their hiding places, grabbed an available woman, and promptly dragged them back to their territory, kidnapped. They would rebuild their tribe with these women. Judges chapter 21 ends with the passage, In those days there was no king in Israel, all the people did what was right in their own eyes. End quote. A pretty big understatement. In the beginning of the history of the settlement in the Levant, Benjamin would align with the northern kingdom, and their history would follow that of the others I've previously covered, up until Rehoboam. Then, when the northern territories split off, Benjamin remained allied with Judah, forming the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. King Saul would hail from the tribe of Benjamin, so by default, so would his son and successor Ishbosheth. After the destruction of the northern kingdom, Benjamin was completely absorbed into the southern kingdom. Then, when the southern kingdom was destroyed in the early 6th century BC by the Babylonians, they too would be deported, and with that, Benjamin as an organized tribe faded from history. Sort of. There were a few later biblical persons who identified as part of the tribe, with the most notable being the Apostle Saul turned Paul. In Philippines chapter 3, he wrote, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised on the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless." End quote. There are a few other interesting tidbits. The Song of Deborah claims that they fought left-handed to gain an advantage over their enemies in the era of hand-to-hand -hand combat. They were also apparently skilled archers. And that's it, at least for now. Moving along. Next is the tribe of Simeon, and its territory was rather peculiar. It was completely surrounded by Judah. So, as Judah went, so did Simeon, for the most part. And, given its location, it's really considered to be a lesser tribe, occupying essentially an enclave in Judah. How they ended up where they did can be found in the first passage in the book of Judges, which reads, After the death of Joshua, 
the Israelites inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. I hereby give the land into his hand. Judah said to his brother Simeon, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. Then I too will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated ten thousand of them at Bezak. The passage continues further, describing in graphic and gory detail how the tribes dispatched their enemies. No one can truthfully say the Bible is boring, that's for sure. The tribe is not mentioned in the Song of Deborah leading some to speculate that it really wasn't considered an independent tribe. It does, though, get a mention in Revelation 7. They were also missing from the blessing of Moses, found in Deuteronomy chapter 33. As for Deborah's singing, there are two competing theories. The first is that Simeon's territory was rather harsh, nothing more than an insignificant backwater, therefore not worthy of noting. The other theory is that Simeon, at the time Deborah performed, was allied with Judah, and therefore had not yet joined the Israelite confederacy. And the omission from Moses' blessing may have been explained in Joshua chapter 19, which essentially makes the case that any blessing for Judah was also a blessing for Simeon. Adding to the confusion is that at different points in the Old Testament, some towns are listed as being part of Judah and at other times, these same towns are part of Simeon. Also, in the census recorded in Numbers, the population of Simeon seems to have shrunk, and, in a Judaic midrash, after the deaths of 24,000 Simeonite men following the scandal involving Zimri, many Simeonite widows were married into other Israelite tribes, and with that, at least those members were no longer Simeonite and instead came to be identified with their new husband's families. As for the scandal, it can be found in Numbers chapter 25, and was when the men of Israel got to know the women of Moab. Later passages interspersed throughout the Old Testament mention that various members of the tribe later migrated to various places, places such as Gedur and Mount Seir. Geder was in the Judean mountains, and Seir, well, that's way south, between the Dead and Red Seas. Ultimately, though, they too would be deported as part of the Babylonian captivity, and would lose their family identity, instead coming to be identified as Jewish. But, maybe they weren't deported to Babylon. A possibly apocryphal Midrash writing claims that the tribe was deported by the Babylonians to the kingdom of Akzum which is thought to have been in present-day Ethiopia, so in the opposite direction from Babylon. The place was described as being behind dark mountains. To me, this story is not believable. If you remember back to the history of the Egyptians, the Babylonians never made it far into Egypt, merely making incursions on their northern borders. And Egypt was, well, still is, between where Simeon settled in the Levant and allegedly in Ethiopia. So, unless they managed to take to the sea and bypass Egypt altogether, 
they probably didn't make it as far as Ethiopia. Also, not every historical source agrees that Simeon was a minor tribe. Eldad Hadani, the same 9th century AD, Jewish historian I mentioned when covering Dan, claimed that the tribe became quite powerful, and even forced some 25 other tribes, some possibly as far away as the Arabian Peninsula, to pay them tribute. So, that's all of the tribes who were allotted territory by Joshua, which leaves one remaining, Levi, who will have to wait until next week. Join me then, you don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page, just so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.